HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. This week on Meet and Three, we're foraging. From Prospect Park to an iPhone app, what does it mean to find our own food? We've recorded, I think, over 1,300 species of fungi occurring in New York City. You know, my ingredients are making themselves, and so that rather than having the stress of needing to source the things I need, I can just walk out my back door and I can have them. Foraging overall is born out of living with the land and with the seasons by indigenous people. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And today on the show, we have Aaron Kint, of co-owner of Kingston Bread and Bar, located in Kingston, New York. Uh, the bakery is really well known for its naturally leavened breads. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, so I have been to Kingston Bread a bunch this uh, year, I want to say. And I feel like every time I go there, there is a humongous line for your breads. And um, I want to understand a little bit more about this because I feel like besides the breads, you also are excellent at pairing cheeses with them. So uh, to start our listeners into your world, let's go to the bread, which is the very first thing I saw is that you say you do not use commercial yeast in your bread and that it's naturally leavened. What, What does that mean to bread makers? And to, to people worldwide. <laughs> sure. So, um, you know, this year has been a year of people getting obsessed with sourdough, I would say. And so when I say naturally leavened, um, really that means usually is equivalent to sour, saying sourdough bread, um, it, meaning that we keep and maintain a sourdough starter uh, and feed it twice a day. And then that process of uh, twice daily feedings and collecting kind of the natural yeast in the air and in the flour are uh, is how we leaven and rise our breads. And um, it, 
I, I think I caught on to the idea of using the phrase naturally leavened instead of sourdough. I forget who exactly coined that, but uh, there, you know, a while ago, there's a lot of people in the kind of home and micro bakery sourdough community and a bunch of people started using that instead of sourdough to refer to their breads because I think people have a very distinct association with the word sourdough that it's something that's super um, astringent and acidic and kind of like tart and you know maybe what people think of like San Francisco sourdough like the classic Boudin bakery and things like that where it where or like supermarket sourdough where it where it you know maybe they add things to make it even more sour like vinegar and things like that and so we're using the sourdough culture to leaven our breads and to do the work of of rising them but often our breads are our our aim is to have them be pleasantly sour and have a little bit of that flavor but um not overwhelmingly so and so we want to make sure that people know that um while we're you know using these kind of ancient methods of doing the rising of the bread we're not uh we're not necessarily aiming for that like super super sour flavor all the time especially in our kind of basic uh white and uh country breads gotcha gotcha and and how so when you feed it how early are you feeding this sourdough because <laughs> i know the baking world gets up early yeah, we we have we have a decent schedule, I'd say. Like, okay. <laughs> I was very I was very specific when I started this whole thing that I, I I'm not like necessarily a super early riser. Um, there's someone at the bakery every day at around five, um, at least, and then on the weekends usually a little earlier, like three. Uh, but our schedule is kind of like we feed around eight eight a.m. actually, and then eight p.m. So the the downside of not being there very early is like myself and then one of our bakers, usually me, almost every night. I I walk over to the bakery and have to do our nighttime feeds and set up for the next day. So it means I don't really exactly have like a nightlife anymore. <laughs> but but it means that um uh that. It's a trade-off, right? I guess. Yeah, it, it's certainly livable. I mean, it almost is actually very similar to um, dairy farming in the way they collect milk in the morning and in the evening. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. You have to live and breathe what you're doing, which is totally the sense I get from you all the time when I meet <laughs> you. I'm like, oh my god, this man lives and breathes bread. Uh, which actually, so how did you stumble into bread making? Was that like you just always did it, or it like happened one day? No, yeah, it's it's. Uh... Yeah, I I am a, I'm like a a person who always is very motivated by teaching myself and and uh, getting obsessed with different things uh, and then going as deep as possible. Bread now happens to be my like longest running and maybe deepest obsession. Uh, uh, but before that, uh, you know, there were other things too. I think the. Uh, I got into bread actually through pizza. I was doing a lot of pizza stuff with a friend of mine, Mike Bernstein, and he and I actually worked for a while writing this kind of self-published book called The Pizza Book and um, did that and through working on I, – I like I was always very – as a – uh, young adult and like starting to cook on my own. I was always very scared of dough and working with dough. Like it was one thing that I felt like, I, oh, I can handle a grill and I can make pickles, but I don't know how to handle dough. Hmm. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I started working on pizza with a friend and we we went back and forth trading these recipes. And then that kind of exploded into getting obsessed with that and getting better and better at doing that thing. And then 
I actually lived out in California for a couple of years. And in that time, that was like just when the, kind of the sourdough explosion, new wave of sourdough explosion was happening in San Francisco. And people were lining up for the first, you know, tartine loaves there. And, and that first book got published. And um, that kind of really kicked it off for me. And, and then it went from me like just doing it at home um, to baking a bunch of loaves every week to the point where I had so many and I was baking so much that a bunch of friends were like, why don't you start selling these? And then that turned into kind of this weekly home sale and uh, a couple steps later now. Oh, my God. <laughs> two years, three years <laughs> later now, this is my life. So here oh we God. are. Um, <laughs> So wait, were you selling it out of the back of your car, basically, or it was- uh, literally out of the back of my house? Yeah. Okay. So I, I live in Uptown Kingston, yeah. New York, and um, uh, I like had people like come in the gate. And first it was just friends and family, and then word got out, and there were like literally strangers just coming in my coming in my house and picking up loaves of bread. Um, and I went from like ten loaves a week to twenty to like forty. And when I got to forty. Actually, it, it happened to coincide this very serendipitous thing. Um, this couple, Amanda and Anthony Stramoski, bought uh, or moved into the space literally two doors down from me and opened Rough Draft Barn Books. And I immediately became friends with them and immediately started spending every day there. And it turned out that, like, they had an open kitchen that they weren't using for anything. And there was kind of this kismet that, oh, well, maybe I can take over their kitchen and um, bake bread out of there. And so I moved in all my equipment over there. And then March 2018. 2018, I started baking loaves out of there every yeah. Saturday and then started to do bagels and that kind of took off from there and then we had lines out the door from then and um, – and yeah, and then and then Amanda and, and Anthony and I decided to open Kingston Bread and Bar together a couple of years later. It's so great. I think all of Kingston loves that you're open. Um, is, is making bagels difficult, by the way? I mean, is that or is that like an easier thing to do versus the, no? The ba- bagels are probably the I, I wouldn't say they're the most technically challenging thing to do, but they're definitely the most time intensive thing that we do. Really? Um, probably next to next to some of the pastries, croissants are probably like the most technically and time challenging thing and then bagels are probably right after that just it just um you know a lot of big bagel places have a lot of great equipment to make bagels that have improved the bagel process over the past hundred years and we're just doing it kind of very old school in terms of making the dough we we have a mixer but we don't have a big kettle to boil the bagels we're boiling them in a pot on the stovetop we don't have a bagel roller we divide them by hand and then uh, with this dough divider we have and then um, it's kind of a it's like a three-day process start to finish and so yeah people get a little um, people don't understand people don't always understand that which is why I, I mean I am fully bought into it obviously and I think it, every step of the process is worth it for building flavor and it what's it's what makes our bagels unique but sometimes we've had issues where you know, because we do everything sourdough, the bagels overproof, or something goes wrong, and people are like, "Why can't you just make a new batch right now?" And it's like, <laughs> "No, it it takes three days." <laughs> we oh started God. this process Thursday night to get them Saturday morning. So, um, yeah, I yeah. think I have to 
now retry your bagels and, and make sure I understand <laughs> what I'm eating. Because I, okay, I, I, I thought you had at least a kettle to boil them in. So this now, no. okay, that's way harder than I thought. Excellent. Um, <laughs> um, okay, my next question is, um, I understand that flour is very important to bread making. Um, and so you've been using local versions. How were you able to, are they, are they milling? Are you milleries? What, what do you call those places and how did you find them? <laughs> yeah. So there, there, uh, there are farmers and then there are mills and, and often they are related, but not always. Um, as in like a lot of times, um, with flour, you'll have folks who, grow grain and then mill it themselves. But then a lot of times also you have uh, grain farmers and millers who are completely separate. Um, we're lucky in the Northeast these days. Like there are actually a bunch of uh, millers and farmers growing a lot of grain up here. Uh, there's kind of been a resurgence in, a, in the best way possible of people growing grain and setting up mills. Um, and I think it, it's super important because uh, over the past kind of – I mean it's it's a similar story to cheese and to um, dairy, you know, where it used to be a thing where everything used to be just the closest – you know, you would just get things from around the corner basically and then through industrialization, everything got commoditized and moved to the uh, – and consolidated and so a lot of flour – that commercially purchased flour comes from like Montana and Canada and out West, which is totally fine. Um, but you know, we have the ability to grow flour in the Northeast, not all kinds, but there are certain flowers that are definitely suited for our environment. And a bunch of really awesome people are doing that work. Uh, there's, uh, uh, Antoine at Sparrowbush, uh, farm and bakery. He's, He's growing a little bit, but also purchasing a lot of grain from local local farmers, and then has a small mill that he mills on his own. And then one of the older um, small mills is in Trumansburg, which is like near Ithaca, farmer ground flour, and they buy from a bunch of Finger Lakes farms that do um, that grow grain, and then they have kind of a large mill over there that they um, that we buy we use a lot of their flour. And um, and then Champlain Valley Milling is like on the border of uh, Vermont and New York in the Champlain Valley, and they do uh, most of our like kind of white roll, what they call roller milled flour um, is is from them too. And so we're we're really lucky that we have access to that because that just yeah, I mean it's funny. There's a lot of parallels, but just like dairy, like obviously the fresher it is, the better it is for flour too, and. Um, and also just the more healthful it is, um, according to a lot of people. It, it's very impressive to hear all this because I know so little about bread making. And yet <laughs> there, there's this whole other world and, I, and it, it's sort of it's all sort of similar to the cheese making world. And I know that we've talked about this. Like, yeah, yeah, it's 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 all the local but terroir based ideas. Um, and I, I really like that. Um so I'd like to segue now because we've been talking so much about your bread. Um, you also are like a master sandwich maker. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you um, come up with things I would have never thought of. And, and you use Instagram in a really great way to like promote these sandwiches. So I'm just going to read off like two that are been of <laughs> most recent. Uh, the okay. first one is Choi Division. It's a sandwich with Asian greens, caramelized braised pork, fresh mozzarella, pickled red onions, fried onions on a semolina sub. 
Um, and just one more for the listeners to hear. The other great one that Aaron has um, invented is Party Munster, which is a house roast turkey, Munster cheese, shredded romaine, romaine with anchovy dressing, roasted tomato on a semolina sub. So my point is, is one, <laughs> how do you start these things? Like, I mean, there's just so many great flavors on each one. Thank you. I mean, how do you do I, this? Well, for first, first I'll say that like I sandwiches were actually the one of the other reasons that I started doing bread. Um, it wasn't like it's kind of funny that it's sort of circuitous, but like I really did want to make sandwiches more than I wanted to make bread, and I just wanted fresh bread to make the sandwiches on. So it actually I, I fulfilled my destiny of becoming <laughs> a sandwich maker. Yes. Um, but the other thing that's funny about our sandwiches is I would say 25% of them start as the name and then and then we find a sandwich to make for them. No way. And then the other 75% are like, oh, we'll come up with an idea for ingredients and then and then try to come up with a, uh, a music-related uh, punny name for it. Uh, and so – both of those that you mentioned both started as sandwich um, sandwiches first, and then we came up with a name. The special coming up this week, Two Tikas to Paradise, which is going to be like a tikka masala thing. That was a funny idea for a name that then we had to reverse engineer how to make a sandwich out of the name. Um, but like, yeah, I, a lot a lot of it comes from just uh, we're lucky to live in the Hudson Valley and have really great ingredients here. Um, and so when we get good ingredients from farms or local um, uh, local uh, butcheries or or uh, or um, or or like even specialty ingredient creators. Like we'll we'll start from there and try to find try to find ways to use them. So like the Choi Division, we got this really great Choi Sum from Poughkeepsie Farm Project down in Poughkeepsie. And when I tried it, it tasted – it kind of had a similar flavor when you blanch it to broccoli rob, that kind of bitter thing, but then also had a little bit of the – you know, that uh, like sort of complex Asian green flavor that I can't I, – I don't have a better way, way to describe, but – sure. Um, and, but I, I immediately thought of like one of our more popular and classic sandwiches, which is like a broccoli rub and pork and mozzarella. And so I was like, oh, how can I kind of twist that, but use the Asian, slightly Asian flavors, but maintain the, the flavors of the, um, of the greens too. And so that, that was kind of where that one came from. Um, and then like the party moments, like things like that, it's just like we, we've found ways to create and cook these meats that we really enjoy. And so our turkey, we get local turkey breasts and then we found out we've, we've like perfected this way of like, um, roasting them and, and getting them kind of perfectly sliceable. And we just, um, we got these really good anchovies recently and I was like, I want to make a really tasty kind of turkey Caesar sandwich. And, and that's kind of where that came, came from. Oh my goodness! I feel like all the listeners are very, very hungry right now. Um, I, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give everyone a snack break. Um, okay, guys, we have uh, an ad from Conte probably coming up next, so uh, just hang tight. Um, you're listening to Cutting the Curd with myself, Kara Warren, and we have Aaron of Kingston Bread on the show, and we will be right back.
This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conté is unique. Learn more about Conté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Uh, we have Aaron Kint of Kingston Bread and Bar on the show today. Uh, and we are discussing sandwiches, cheeses pairing with bread, um, how Instagram helps um, sell sandwiches and bread, because I feel like, Aaron, you are the mastermind of that as well. <laughs> um, actually, I do want to ask you about how is it that you, the Friday preview show that you put on Instagram Live, I think it is, how, how did that come about? I mean, does that help uh, your spot at all? Like it, it must, right? It's so entertaining, I feel like. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. I, I do, I, I do. <laughs> I yeah, it's actually kind of funny and related to this, but like I started doing that because I wanted to sell more cheese. Um, literally, like that was the initial goal was um, Friday or Friday to Saturday pre-orders are kind of our biggest sales day um, or had been. And with the way our online system works, as a lot of other businesses these days use Square and Square Online, and it's not. It, it's t- totally functional most of the time, but it's definitely not the best in terms of like merchandising products. And I wanted to highlight, find a way to highlight and kind of share more information about some of the cool cheeses and charcuterie and uh, provisions kind of products that we have that would be like kind of buried in the online store. And um, yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of how it started, just trying to do that and and do a little more of that. It's become a little uh, unhinged lately, I'll <laughs> say, uh, mainly because uh, we've been uh, kind of short-staffed over the past month and a half, and we finally hired some people and we're getting back to sort of normal where I can work more relatively normal hours again. And once that happens, then I, I plan to like actually – maybe make up a plan before doing the Friday Instagram lives instead of just going into it um, off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that it is like so real and that it's more, <laughs> it's more like, this is what our cheese case is. Um, and I actually, for the listeners, can you describe your cheese case or kind of the setup of Kingston bread? Cause I feel like um, they need sure. to understand it a little better. 
Sure. So King, King's Bread started a year and a half ago as a restaurant slash all day bakery cafe with a with a bar too. And and our goal was to kind of have food all day, drinks at night, kind of simple stuff at night and um, sandwiches and, and breakfast and pastries during the day. And then six weeks in, the pandemic hit and we um, had to shut our doors for 12 days. Then we realized that we were technically uh, – uh, essential workers and we kind of went to work trying to figure out how to sell things through the pandemic and that turned into um, many, many, many different iterations of uh, Kings and Bread and t- going through them like once a week pre-orders to twice a week pre-orders to pre-order and then like a open day to a like kind of half open come pick up through the window to like, oh, you can come inside and sort of look at stuff but you still have to wait outside to where we are now where now that everyone's vaccinated we have some seating inside the bar is still closed um closed off but you can sit at the windows and we have a couple shelves of kind of provisions stuff then we have a big bread rack um we have a bunch of wine and beer and then we have like kind of two small refrigerated cases that are filled with cheese charcuterie pizza ingredients and um cold cold beverages too um and many, so yeah it's 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 come it's come a long way have, by the way I'm, I'm curious now like are you at like 20 or 30 about or uh or yeah I, I would say it? i would say i would say it's like a rotating between 15 and 25 i would say okay, yeah cool. yeah and and i'm curious so um because I feel like you have really good cheese taste. Like I've gone in there Thank you. and I'm like, this guy is teaching himself about cheese just by, I think by buying it and tasting it a lot, <laughs> which is my favorite kind of cheese buyer. Don't, don't like look at anything else, but just eat the cheese. Um, what, what have you found lately that you've been into cheese wise? Yeah, I mean, one, that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, I, I do a bunch of reading too. Um, I, I've, yeah, but for sure, like, and I've been eating cheese my whole life, but there's, there's definitely, I wasn't formally educated. A lot of it is just like, oh, that looks good, or that seems interesting. Um, let's try that. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we, we really love uh, all the stuff that uh, Crown Finish Caves in Brooklyn does, and um, one because they're New York and they buy a bunch of really interesting and uh, age a bunch of interesting cheese. But also just like I don't know, just everything that comes out of there just is is gold. Um, we got a half wheel of their Carpenter's Wheel recently, and it's so good. That's um, cool. I, I really enjoy that. Uh, yeah, we we. Um, I didn't mean to put you on a spot. I know it's hard to think of cheese. No, no, no. It's no just I'm, so I'm many just good like, ones. I, uh, yeah, no. I, I recently we got. Um, I've been, I went on like a strong Alpine kick not recently and we're still going through it. And we – I mean this is not like a – this is going to this is gonna sound kind of maybe like this is uh, – everyone knows. But like the Springbrook Terran taste is just so good and um, we've been using some on sandwiches and it's just like it melts so well and – it just adds this like we did like patty melts with Terran Taste two weeks ago and which sounds crazy, but it was just like the 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 extra like little funk. I'm not a big fan of like blue cheese on burgers, but that kind of has the 
the depth of a blue cheese without just like punching you in the face with it and it just adding that to the to the meat i think it just i really i really love that combo i'm just very jealous i wasn't there for it <laughs> <laughs> there's more we got we got a whole wheel of tarantese so we're okay. like trying to figure out what to do with it basically okay. that's i mean it's a fantastic cheese i think it's um a cheese that i actually haven't had in a while because it has been around for over a decade so sometimes i forget to look at those cheeses which is yeah terrible. yeah totally um so i need to get back to the springbrook cheeses and and, and they've won multiple acs awards so they're yeah. they're an awesome cheesemaker. Um, I wanted to see. So when is the bar fully opening? By the way, because I know you have pizza nights going. How, yeah, what's happening there? I know we're getting nights back at Kingston Bread, which I like to yeah. talk about because I think for the cheese uh, shops and the restaurant industry, it's sort of a sign of what's going on out there. So so what's next for Kingston Bread? Yeah, that's a great question. So I mean, like everyone else, we're like struggling with staffing is like our number one and everyone's number one issue, like just hiring people. Again, we started off with a relatively big staff those first six weeks, but then a lot of folks, um, you know, left or moved on or did you know, just don't want to come back for whatever reason, or just like have other jobs. And that's fine though. We have our staff of like 12 now who like all, almost all have been around since day one um and we've hired a couple people in the past couple of weeks we've we 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 need dishwashers and we need like front of house people to really be open at night but we're like trying to pull it off anyway um so uh, uh, the big the big catch for us is that we in during the pandemic, we kind of at first were very like, what are we going to do? Should we like how how much rearranging should we do to allow for this? Because we didn't realize how long we didn't know how long it was going to go. And then once we were like two months in, we were like, oh, this is going to have we're going to be in this state for at least a year. So let's just take advantage of it. So we kind of took over the whole dining room with production space. Um, and so we moved our pastry stuff out there and did all that work um in the main dining room like next to the bar and so now that we've expanded into that room now we're attracting that is like extremely hard because we've probably quadrupled our daily production since when we opened you know and so um we're between those two things we're trying to figure it out but hopefully in the next month we are doing some actual construction in the space to to make room so that we can um have people sit at the bar and have people allow people to get to the bathrooms again and <laughs> um and like actually get beer on tap again which is something that we've been we've been missing for a long time oh yeah totally and so like i think i mean i don't know if you'll do this but to see bread making production or croissant making production um it's such a cool thing to watch it's it's kind of like a meditation art thing going on there is it going to be in in sight of people or are you going to hide it away again you think uh i think it's going to be partially in sight cool. there is there's like this trade-off of like it is actually very in sight now if you come inside um you can during especially in the morning you'll see emma our our lead pastry chef working at her table in the middle of the space either laminating or rolling up croissants but um it is a little like when we put up a little wall and maybe put up some plexi. There is kind of like that. Are you in a zoo kind of feeling oh, that I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know <laughs> if we want to if we want to create. But at the same time, like 
I think having we want to be able to let light into you, and so trying to figure figure out the balance there. Um, but yeah, a hundred percent, I agree. Like allowing people to see the thing. Actually, we the oven. That one of the reasons we bought the oven, we did without knowing how we were going to arrange it in the space. Was it has like windows for on the. Uh, the doors of the oven, our big oven, our windows, so you can see the bread baking in the oven. You can barely see it when you walk around um, the space now, but like um, I wonder, yeah, once we're reopened, if people are going to be able to peer in and, and see it again. Yeah, I wonder. Um, well, I can't wait to see. Um, I have uh, like a few more questions. I'm curious what, so Hudson Valley is like about the, Kingston at least, is about two hours from New York City. Do you think that flow of people is going to continue to exist? Um, has it helped Kingston Bread a lot, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so d- disclosure, I grew up in, you know, um, New York City. So I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm a transplant too. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn and moved up here around seven and a half years ago now. Um, and... Yeah, I think I mean the Hudson Valley that's not a like a new I mean it's new that a lot of people have 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 definitely migrated in the past year but I think it's gone in phases. I don't think you're going to find too many people that are more than like if if they 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 didn't move up here, their parents did, you know, kind of thing from oh, the right. city or from from elsewhere. It's kind of always been that way. It just kind of I think goes in phases a little bit. Um but I think you know the reasons we moved up here are the reasons that a lot of people moved up from the city, which is just, you know, we had a, my wife and I had a kid and we wanted space and we wanted them to grow up uh, a little closer to nature than I did. And, uh, I don't think that those desires are ever going to go away. No, that's um, awesome. Necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. And then I have a very tough question for you. Are you ready to take the CC? P exam. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I, but I, like I, that, yeah. I, I am. I'm hoping that that's the next two years thing. That's like kind of my three year goal is to become a cheese professional. Um, I, I. Uh, it's funny. I never thought like going into this whole project, cheese was kind of in the just like a a very small checkbox in the back of my mind. But over the past year. Um, it's become like kind of a new obsession and, and a thing that I've dived into a lot. And so I'm, I'm excited to keep learning. I have not, I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface. Like where I even, uh, to be honest, like bread wise, I feel like I'm, I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, like still a student and someone who, you know, I'll, I'll face like a master baker in like a, in, in the dojo and they'll, they'll, they'll kick my ass and tell me I still have so much to learn. So, um, I feel even, even less, uh, more of a Padawan in the, in the, in the cheese department. And so I'm hoping that over the next couple of years, I'll continue to get to eat a lot. And now, now with, you know, the pandemic kind of waning, hopefully I'll be able to actually go visit not only other cheese shops, but maybe some go up to Vermont and visit some of the farms that we buy, buy a bunch of cheese from. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I'm I'm going to keep checking on you with this. I, I'm interested to hear <laughs> about your status with the with, uh, with the cheese game. Um, well, Aaron, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on Cutting the Curd today. This was awesome. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you.
All right, listeners. Well, please follow Kingston Bread on Instagram at Kingston Bread. Uh, you can follow us at Cutting the Curd, and you can follow me at Kara Warren. Uh, please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, thanks, and eat more cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.